book of Luke, primarily during this Christmas season in this series called Christmas People. And that's one thing that Luke shouts out all the way through the book, beloved. It's phenomenal to me. The book opens. There's this Jerusalem place where a guy named Zechariah gets blessed of God. And that guy is a priest, an elevated one. The city of Jerusalem is a lofty place. But we're moving from there quickly in the book to get down to Bethlehem. That humble place where God chose humble people to bring his humble son to die for us, to be born so that he can die for us on the cross. That's what Luke is all about, humility. Well, we've talked about a couple of Christmas people so far. Eosafe, you remember that name, right? Eosafe. Let him add to. That's what his name means, Joseph. He added to his life the Son of God. The baby, Jesus, who became Joseph's Savior. Then the second week, we switched to another Christmas person, a critical person at the Nativity, right? Mary. Miriam. The Old Testament name, Hebrew, Miriam, which means bitter, rebellious, and While many want to exalt this Mary to a lofty place just beneath the Trinity, the truth is this Mary saw herself as in need of a Savior. For Mary in humility, like Joseph a carpenter in humility, Mary in humility said, God, my Savior. That's who she looked at when we look at the most important of the Christmas people, baby Jesus. And I want to read you that all-familiar story. I don't know if you do it together on Christmas or not, but our family, all of our married life, for 44 years, all of our family, when we get together at Christmas, read the Luke chapter 2 story. And I'd like to read it with you. Since you um, came out in this weather, we'll let you stay seated. I applaud you for showing up here. Let's read this great story together. Fourteen verses in the second chapter of Luke. It came to pass in those days that the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took, uh, first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields 
keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's the Christmas story. That's the real Christmas story. That's what it's all about. Not tinsel and glowing lights, not gifts and wrapping paper, but the humble birth of the greatest gift of all, the baby Jesus. Amen. Let's thank God for that great gift. Join me, please. Oh, my Father. What a thrill to be together on this icy morning with this good group of people. Just to adore you and worship you as we have already in song and now as we do walking through this familiar Christmas story. Nothing new, an old story, but it's ever new because it's constantly offering good news to any and all who will believe that Christ was born of a virgin to live a spotless life, to die on Calvary's tree for my sin, and not mine only, but as was announced to the shepherd, the sin of all the world, and that he rose again and ascended on high and from above offers good news that any who will believe, he will be their Savior. Thank you for that day when you brought me to yourself. Forgive me for those times, my Father, and I not only speak for me, but this assembly this morning. Forgive us for those moments and times when we just sort of take for granted that day that you gave us the grace to believe on your only Son born in a manger. Help us to rejoice in that day. And any who are here who are yet to believe, who are yet to express their faith in Jesus. Oh, let this be the day when they believe. And help us, Father, to be motivated today and in this season, and not only this season, but throughout this next year, to always rejoice that you became a baby for great purpose to be our Savior. Help us as we think through this story one more time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me walk through this great Christmas story with you like this. The emphasis today is on the baby Jesus. That's the main focus, the main person of Christmas. 
And have you noticed the fact before, I'm certain you have, that he was born under human government. Listen to this verse again. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Let me pause there for a second. Whenever a law goes out from from political leaders, citizens pay attention, right? Especially new laws. We are walking through that season right now. Aren't you glad you came to be reminded of Obamacare? A new law. Millions would have obeyed that law if they could have. But the rollout wasn't real great. Right? Are you still with me? Why would millions want to get on the website? Not because they're eager to uh, have something new in their lives, but because it was mandated by what? Law. By government. By rulers to whom we are to subject ourselves. And a new decree had come out. Oh, it had come out before for Rome and the Caesars, the emperors of Rome, had, had uh, called for registrations or census before, but only to certain provinces within the Roman Empire. But now you notice the next phrase. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. What kind of a guy was this who thought he could rule the whole world? Beloved, the Caesars were the emperors of the then known world. For Rome had rolled across every province, every other government, and taken captive the then known world. They were a world empire. And by the way, it won't be all that long. Thirty-some years from now, when this decree went out, thirty-some years from now, the whole Roman Empire would try to bring down what this little baby built, a kingdom and an empire, one person at a time. And after he left, another apostle, namely Paul, you know him well, he went throughout the Roman Empire and he single-handedly If you are a true student of history, you get this. He single-handedly brought down that world empire. One person, one man, one woman at a time. When he told the good news, Jesus came. The Caesars tried to stamp out the empire that was to come. Instead, this baby and his empire would stamp out Rome. Pretty impactful stuff, right? Let me just pause long enough to say this is a side lesson and note. The way to bring down godless empires, and I fear that our own country is moving in that direction more every moment of every day. The way to bring them down is not to rebel against law, but to communicate the only law that brings hope. This is the commandment of God that can believe on the name of his son. And as people one by one communicate that good news, 
empires historically have been brought humbly under the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You want to help America? Keep telling the story. Yo, now watch this. It's amazing to me that a Caesar Augustus could think that he was in charge of the world. Here's what's happening. Over 400 prophecies, many of which are about the very birth of the Son of God, have to be fulfilled for the Messiah to come. And that's who we're talking about. The baby Jesus is the King of Israel. And these prophecies about his birth have to be fulfilled. It is nothing. It is a small thing for God to impress upon the heart of the king who sees himself as a ruler of the world. It is a small thing for God to move his heart to bring the parents of the Son of God, the earthly parents, to the city of Bethlehem. He decreed because God had already prophesied Caesar decreed he will be born in Bethlehem. Why was the world called to obey the law and register? So that Joseph and Mary would be brought to the little town of Bethlehem. So that Christ would be born where the scriptures declared he would be born. Human government's big. But my God is far superior to any human government. He's at work, even in the heart of a godless king. Now watch, as this king sees himself so powerful, we move next in the story to this place called Bethlehem where this baby Jesus is born. We read, Joseph went up to the city of David, up from Nazareth to Bethlehem, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Let me show you something here. The book of Luke opens, my beloved, with Jerusalem. God miraculously appears. The same angel that appeared to, to Mary appeared to Zacharias and said, there will be a son born in Jerusalem. And you've got to see, it's that lofty city, that big city, that world-renowned city, that most important city in Old Testament history and in the then-known world, Jerusalem. All-important city. To a man named Zechariah, a priest, an elevated man, a man revered and respected because of his office, so a revered city and a revered man, a prophet comes from his loins and from Elizabeth, his wife, and from Jerusalem. And the people of Israel revered the prophets of old, for it was through them that they gained the very word of God. They looked up to them. So watch this. You've got a high priest in this, not a high priest, a priest in the city of Jerusalem who's giving birth to a prophet. And then you slip to chapter 2. 
And the lofty respect that you sense and feel as you read every phrase of Luke 1 in chapter 2 flies right out the window. Because in chapter 2, you move from Jerusalem to a little insignificant village called Bethlehem. You move from a high priest to a non-respected Jewish peasant who was a carpenter. You move from Jerusalem to from the birth of the prophet of God to the birth of this baby, not in a palace or a lofty city, but in a manger. We'll talk about that in a minute. So you get it. This humility, this contrast between uh, Zechariah and Joseph, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, the prophet, and this little baby, who ultimately would be a king, but that's not the way it looks right now. What humility. And he comes to this place called Bethlehem. You know what the word Bethlehem means? It means house of, say it, bread. I looked everywhere I could think to look, and if you want to know anything, look on the internet. <laughs> That's right. I looked in every uh, place I could think to find out surely what happened in Bethlehem historically is there were bakers all over the place, and people made bread, and people came from all over the world to find bread in Bethlehem. Didn't find one baker in Bethlehem. Here's what I did find. The word bread in the Old Testament day much meant much more than that which you make from yeast and bacon, part of our staple and diet. The word bread meant all diet, all that you take in, all that you need for sustenance. And so it's, it was little, it was not surprising when I understood that or found that out that Bethlehem had the best vineyards, olive groves, really, in all the world, the then known world. They had the best cornfields. They had the largest flocks of sheep and meat available to eat for all around. There's only one thing they didn't have, and that was water. So they piped it in on the aqueducts. And they had all the water they needed. So all that the world needed for physical sustenance was found in the house of bread, Bethlehem. Little wonder then that all that your soul needs for time and for eternity is wrapped up in this little baby born in the house of bread who himself would soon announce, I am the bread of life. Beloved, when he said that, he was not just saying, I am the one who provides for you the loaf that you need. He was saying, I am your full nutrition. Meat, vegetables, bread, milk, all that is needed is wrapped up that cool? 
born in Bethlehem, this baby. And watch as we continue to walk through it. Baby Jesus, not only born in Bethlehem, but who's blinking the lights? Or was that my eyes? It's like, hurry, Larry? Okay, I will. Baby Jesus was born not just in Bethlehem, but even more humbly, he was born in a stable. You hear it in these words, Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes and in that stable she laid him in a manger and it's true, out of which the animals were fed. Now we have our picture, it's more like a barn to us in our western culture where the animals stay. In the first century it was something far different. They lived in houses there was a section of the house that was where the family lived and ate and slept. And often there was just a half wall between them and where the animals spent the night indoors and in shelter, really under the same roof as the family. But often they would set up a guest bed beside where the family stayed. And that bed would be near where or in the same room, if you will, where the animals slept for the night. There was no room in the inn. You know that story, the rest of that story. Let me just throw this out. I think the innkeeper gets a bum rap. What on earth would you have done if the whole motel was full? Who were you going to put out for a peasant carpenter from Nazareth and his expected wife. He didn't turn him away. He gave him the best he had to offer, guest quarters with the animals. Zechariah here is not, or Luke here is not in the second chapter focusing on the rejection of Christ. He's focusing on the humility of Christ. And so let's not give the innkeeper a bum rap. Let's rejoice in what God was willing to do. He was willing to come in the person of his son, born of this virgin teenager, and taken in the house of this peasant carpenter. He, in humility, was willing to be placed in a trough where animals ate. That's what Luke wants you to see. I'm not so sure the innkeeper rejected him. I think he gave him the best he could. And God wanted you to see that he gave up everything. Leaving the lofty position of the throne of God at the right hand of the Father, the Son emptied all and came into this world and became a baby in a manger, in a village. The King of Israel, the Messiah, the Lord. And lastly, this baby Jesus in the narrative was born Savior. When Joseph took him, when 
Joseph added that baby to his life and chose to do that, even as he took Mary, while yet not married to her, but betrothed to her, he took her on that 70-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. He accepted him as his own. His own what? Joseph knew because he heard it in a vision. He knew the baby would be called Jesus, Savior, Jesus, which means, and by the way, in the Old Testament Hebrew, our English word for it is Joshua. Same name as Jesus, which means Hebrew and English, Joshua. And Jesus, it means God, Lord, Jehovah, our Savior. Joseph knew it. And Mary knew it. And though the scriptures don't say so, my beloved, I believe it's true that Joseph and Mary, for we are told Joseph was a righteous man who knew the law and wanted to obey it. They knew that this one to be born was the Messiah, and they knew, I believe, where he was to be born. So they gladly went to Bethlehem to allow God to give birth through Mary, to allow God to give life to them through their Savior. I bring you, the angel said, you, the shepherds, good tidings of great joy, and in that dot, 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 you'll remember there is that phrase, which shall be to all people, not to just the shepherds or Jews. You and I better be grateful for that because we're Gentiles here. To us is born. Good news. There is born for you in the city of David, not Jerusalem, Bethlehem, this humble one to be your Savior. The same Mary that gave birth and looked on that baby in the manger and said, this is God my Savior, is the same Mary who in 33 years, think about it, Mom, stand at the foot of the cross where her son, God's only son, her Savior, would have nails driven through each hand and through his feet, a crown with thorns pressed into his brow, a cat of nine tails with glass shards and sharp stones woven into that cat of nine tails, whipping him and tearing flesh from his body. Blood flowing, she sees him hanging there. And we today would ask, who is it that hangs on that tree? And God could well answer, though he did not say it that way, this way in that day. God could well answer, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We then could ask, if we didn't know the story, why does he hang there? And the answer is, he hangs there because of sin. And then we can ask, then if he pleased you, how can you say he pleases you if you hang, if he hangs there because of sin? What sin has he committed? 
God would answer. The Father would speak thunderously to us. Oh, I said, in him I am well pleased. He has committed no sin. Then it begs the question, for whose sin does he hang on the cross? And the answer thunders throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. You felt the weight of that. For my sin, he hangs on the tree. My friend, if you've never told God, thank you, thank you, thank you. For Jesus paying the price for my sin on Calvary. I believe that through his blood, I receive forever a relationship with you. If you've never told him that, what a great day. Just a few days before Christmas, this Sunday service, just before Christmas, what a great moment to say, I believe. Amen. Tell him you believe. And please talk to one of us after the service today. We'd love to know that you said today, I believe. Your turn. This isn't just an arrogant play on what others are saying at Christmas. This is a statement that ought to be thunderously clear to those of us who know this Savior. Christ is Christmas. Without him, there is no Christmas. He is born, we already talked about it, to die. For us to pay the price for our sin. Humbly brought to Bethlehem to live a, live a holy but humble life, to die a horrible but humble death, so that we can be humbled and brought to the Father through his death. What nailed him there? I want to go back to it. My sin. And let me stop right here and tell you something that my son counseled me, in fact, reproved me with this week and helped me grow. Does the name Phil Robertson mean anything to you? You've all heard it on the news, right? The Duck Dynasty guy who said what he said about homosexuality, about it being sin. And I agreed, maybe not with the way, coarse way that it was said, but I agreed with what was said, and I took a picture on Facebook, an image, and I shared that on Facebook. And when I did, that's when I got a phone call from my son. He said, did you really pay attention, Dad? And I thought I did. 
because what I saw in the top of the thing was homosexuality is sin. And then under it I saw, but I love you who were caught in that. I saw, I would stand up against any who would be rude to you and throw stones at you under that. It was all written out in a better way than I could put it. But he said, Dad, did you see what was in bold letters? Homosexuality is sin. Did you see what was in fine print? But I love the sinner. And I took it down off of Facebook. Because at that moment I remembered what my son was trying to say to me. It isn't the homosexual sin alone that nailed my Savior to the tree. It's my sin that also nailed him to the tree. And he loved me so much he died for me. I'm not putting their sin in big bold letters when my sin equally nailed him to the cross. Parents, it's a cool thing when your kids start teaching you things you miss. It's a greater thing when they help you love the sinner whom the Savior humbled to die for on the cross. Amen. God help us to walk out and love them because he